0: Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning and today my guest is Michael Parkinson who's an Alexander Technique teacher in Vienna, Austria. He is also um, a musician. He played for many years with the English National, the orchestra of the English National Ballet in London. He's been an Alexander teacher for looks, I guess, pretty close to 25-30 years, 35 years maybe, and um, he's, uh was a guest professor of the Alexander Technique at the University for Music and Performing Arts in Graz, Austria. And uh, in 1996, he established the Alexander Technique Teacher Training Center in Vienna, which trains Alexander Technique teachers. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Robert. Nice to nice to talk to you.
0: Michael, could you begin by giving our listeners a short description of the Alexander Technique?
1: Well, I'm going to dip out of that question a little bit and perhaps say um, what my experience of the technique was or how I came to it, which will give... Um, Certainly, the musicians listening some idea of um, what it might be for them, because what it might be for what it was for me and still is for me, and might be for them. I I was um, uh, twelve years old when I first started learning the bassoon, and I was a kind of a weedy kid. I wasn't particularly um, strong, and I had this rather hefty instrument hanging around my neck from uh, from the age of twelve. And by the time I was sixteen. Um, this instrument had rather got the better of me and I, I remember very distinctly going for an audition to the National Youth Orchestra and after I played they said well that was quite good and we'd like to come back next year but in the meantime you you better take care of that left shoulder and um, I got no idea what this lady was talking about and I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and sure enough my left shoulder was about an inch higher than the other one or well, probably even more than that but it was noticeably higher and this was something that had crept up on me without me even realising it. I, I guess because I was so, I was struggling to struggling with this beast for so long. I'd um, adopted this rather strange, this rather strange body posture in order to, in, in order to be able to get my hands around the keys and play this thing. And um, it wasn't until I went to the to the Guildhall School of Music in London and met um, Betty Reiner, as she was then better known to. most of us these days, as Elizabeth Langford, um, I had Alexander lessons. I was lucky to be able to have Alexander lessons. And the thing about the Alexander technique was that it it helped me to realise what I was doing to myself because it wasn't the bassoon that was doing something to me. It was what I was doing to myself in order to try to tame this beast, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And the same goes for, I mean, people often say, you know, it's... That I'm, I have this back problem because it's my computer or I'm doing this or I drive a lot. But it's what we do to ourselves in whatever we do, even just sitting uh, sitting at a table, standing up, waiting for a bus. It's what we do to ourselves without realizing it that usually causes these problems. And so an Alexander Technique teacher yes. is trying to help people be come to terms with what we're doing to ourselves and help us to find a way to change that, to find a way to be able to do what we do um, without causing this, um, you know, this interference with our neuromuscular system, which is what it boils down to, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to interrupt for a second, the, yeah. the, 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 the fact that you yourself had no idea that you were hunching one shoulder up Mm-hmm. is is something that Alexander teachers see all the time, things like that, that people will have um, distorted patterns of posture and movement that they themselves are, are usually unaware of. They may be aware of the unfortunate consequences of them, like uh, pain or discomfort or whatever. So yeah. in terms of uh, if, if the technique, as you say, is about learning... How to um, release harmful patterns like that, uh, certainly a first step is learning what they are.
1: Absolutely. And, and, uh, yes, and I mean, the thing about it is, of course, that um, Alexander himself, uh, Frederick Matthias Alexander, spent a considerable amount of time uh, standing in front of mirrors to observe himself. And uh, this is a painstaking process that very few of us would have the, um, would be able to want to. Even embark on, but with an Alexander teacher, with somebody who, with a, with a skillful eye and a skillful hand, can bring these things to your attention relatively quickly. And of course, as Alexander himself said, you, the, the hardest things to get rid of are the things that don't exist. Now, if you don't know what you're doing, it's very hard to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we're, the, 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 the phenomenon we're really dealing with as Alexander teachers or as Alexander students. Is this question of unreliable sensory appreciation a term that Alexander himself coined? Um, these days, one might a scientist or a, a medical practitioner might term this proprioception or faulty proprioception, mm-hmm. unreliable proprioception. This a sense of position. Um, what, what exactly am I doing?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we, this becomes very distorted with time. If you do the same thing. As I do with my shoulder over a long period of time, then it no longer comes to your attention until, as you say, it starts to hurt, or we feel tense or whatever, and the problems begin. We get perhaps numbness in the fingers,
0: or in your case, someone specifically pointed it out to you, and you used a mirror to to check that out, uh, looking at yourself. I'm I'm guessing in kind of a fresh way.
1: Absolutely, I would. I had no preconceived ideas. I mean, I. I looked in the mirror completely in a neutral way and waiting to see perfectly level shoulders, and I, lo and behold, mm-hmm. they were very, very uneven. And of course, by the, a couple of years later, when I finally went to the Guild, I was really suffering from quite serious um, backache and tension problems in my neck. I, my head sort of twitched from side to side uh, in a very inconvenient way, because if you're trying to play the bassoon, you, the last thing you want is your... Had to be twitching from side to side. It's uh, it was really quite a quite a difficult time. But the, th- the interesting thing about my very f- early lessons with Betty Langford, um, well Betty Reiner she was, that she I mean plenty of people had said to me why don't you stop doing that? You know I mean I don't you look ridiculous with the sort of twitching of your head. So of course yes I wanted to stop doing it, but I didn't really have a plan of action. Just mm-hmm. to stop doing it wasn't, I mean, lots of uh, teachers of all sorts of disciplines, also for athletics, will, will yell at their students and say, well, just relax, you know. Mm-hmm. But you you need to have something more specific. And I remember very clearly my first Alexander lesson in, in Highgate um, Hillside Gardens. You might have even been there yourself mm-hmm. uh, when you mm-hmm. before you trained. And Betty's saying to me, I want you to think, and this is, was a very important aspect of it, I want you to think of allowing your neck muscles to release so that your head can go forward and up. now, you know nobody would ever have said that to me to oh. help me to, to, to up to that point, nobody ever said, you know if you want to stop twitching, you should think about releasing your neck to let your head go forward and up. I mean that just wouldn't have happened.
0: Right. but
1: hearing those words um, was, a com- was a completely an, 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 um, it was a mind-blowing experience in a way because this, when I put that thought to those muscles. I, I And she, with the help of her hands, of course, you know, she had her hands on my head and the back of my neck. And I knew exactly what those words meant. And it's a very funny story because I, I met Betty at the Freiburg Conference after not seeing her for, well, at least 20 years, possibly more. And I told her that when I left that lesson, I walked up the road and it was something was very odd and, I, and I, I suddenly realized what it was that I didn't want, I hadn't this urge to twitch because it, this twitching was actually a way, my way of trying to relieve tension in my neck. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: in actual fact what I was doing I was just creating more um, I mean sometimes people with, with backache they'll kind of arch the back and pull the back in and it changes something so there's a temporary relief but it doesn't go away
0: well and, but, uh, and it it's in a way it's kind of a rearranging of tensions, yeah um
1: it's sweeping the dirt from one place and exactly, the next place. and yeah. if
0: you know people who you can see people often uh if you watch people who are sitting they'll they're if they're habitual slumpers every once in a while, they'll kind of arch their backs and Brace, uh, brace themselves yeah. up and that does provide some very temporary relief but but they're not going to stay there and if cuz if they did they would have a whole another set of discomforts so the so your experience was one where an alexander teacher showed both using words and uh, her hands mm-hmm. guided you into a different relationship of your head to your neck and your upper torso Mm-hmm. and kind of uh, I won't say attacked the shoulder problem but ha- helped alleviate the shoulder and the head moving issue in a somewhat indirect way which you you and probably most people would never have occurred to them to do
1: exactly you I know. mean it's un- un- unthinkable that um... Uh, a t- any other teacher of, of of another discipline would have would, would have put put it to me in the, in, in those right. terms. Yeah,
0: and I think it's maybe particularly useful for musicians, instrumentalists, and singers to just to reiterate that point that that often uh, uh, a musician's um, habits might be fairly evident to p- other people around them and that those people might even make suggestions of the kind you talked about just relax or mm-hmm. um, don't you know push your pull your shoulder down or in the case of a singer there might be some ideas about um uh, doing something with your jaw while you're singing or whatever mm-hmm. and and usually those are very in, uh, the intention behind those suggestions is good, but in terms of actually producing a useful change, not all that effective.
1: Not at all, and, and, and not often. I mean, what my experience of teaching, um, well, especially singers and sometimes dancers as well, is that this this whole idea of um, being open. I mean, every singing and dance teacher and acting teacher in the world wants their students to be uh, what we would call, what we would say about being open and wide, you know, the widening aspect of the of the f- physique, but of course, it's usually addressed by um, performing some kind of uh, stretching and, and and bracing the the upper, the front of the upper chest open. But of course, all that is again again it's sort of sweeping the dirt from one place to the next. It's it creates a shortening and narrowing in the upper back, which right. is the very place where a lot of people suffer from tension anyway so you 're just sort of pouring petrol on the fire, really, you 're not, exactly. not addressing it at all
0: or often but, yeah. often the, the the instructions are are make assumptions about what a person it, can do mm-hmm. uh, you know to tell someone just relax um, assumes that they actually are able to do that in a useful way to to meet that particular issue, and that 's an assumption that I think most Alexander teachers would agree is not one one should make. It's it's uh, it just assumes way too much.
1: That's right. And, and similarly, I don't think it would be. I think if Betty Langford had uh, well, it's yes, it's Betty Langford, isn't it? I um, was if it had sat on a sofa, and I'd stood there in front of the chair, and she kept saying to me, "I want you to free your neck." Um, I would have done, made all sorts of gestures uh, to. Um, in association with those words, but I wouldn't have. I would have gone round and round in circles. I would probably never, uh, in a million years, have actually freed my neck in the sense that an Alexander te- technique teacher um, means th- mean th- what those words mean to us. We would just create more tension. So it was with the help of those very, very subtle uh, guiding hands that I was able to match uh, the words with some kind of. Uh, Physical experience, if you, for want of a better expression, right? Um, and this is what this is one of the the sort of trademark, or what? I mean, that's not, not the right word, but um, the hallmark, if you like, of Alexander teaching is we use not exclusively, but I mean, we use our hands uh, in combination with or what we might call guiding orders to bring a person to get, to help a person gain an experience. Of freedom, of of lightness, of lessening tension, and um, I mean, there are the, of course there are the techniques and therapies and whatever that um, might produce the same results. But this is the way we work, and it seems to be very effective. But mm-hmm. it, the important thing is that eventually we 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 pass on the the responsibility to our students. I mean, we don't want our students to we can't run around after them and and put our hands on them while they're playing the violin in a okay. concert. We once a person has um, had some experience of what it's like not to tense the neck or not to tense the shoulders or whatever. Um, if they have that experience often enough, they're able to get that themselves. If you, for want of a better expression, there's it, something that will come on. There's responsibilities transferred. Right. But um, mm. the biggest problem is really that, of course, not knowing we're doing it, and this is how we try to um, help people by pointing these things out in a, in a, in a quite a subtle way.
0: Now, now, these sorts of issues that we've been talking about, of course, are not just uh, found in musicians, but uh, it does seem as though of all of the per- groups of performing artists that musicians generally know have, more of them, percentage-wise, have had s- some have heard at least heard of the Alexander Technique and I wonder if you could could say a bit about what why musicians should be uh, particularly interested in exploring this method
1: well I think the 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 problem is that a musical instrument is only as good as the as the person in whose hands it's in Um, we, the instrument will do what it do in a way it is obedient in a sense. It does what you tell it to do, or or, or you, you know, you are in control. You have to be in control of the instrument. But if you're not in control of yourself, then th- there's no hope, really. You know, you in order to have the, to acquire the the skills of playing a musical instrument, the, the intonation, the, the quality of the sound, the, the the just playing the notes themselves, the technique, you know, the technical. Difficulties. Um, that's really got to come from not just from um, a set of agile fingers. It's got to come really from a whole organism that's well balanced, well coordinated. Um, that is really con- well consciously controlled. There's no there's no luck involved in um, in music making, which is why I sometimes have to laugh when, or you know, when people say to you, "Well, good luck." For the concert tonight. Well, if it's a concert outdoors and it rains, that's bad luck, I suppose. But what I actually do with my instrument is not really about luck. It's about whether I'm able to hold myself together, keep my head on, screwed on properly, Mm -hmm. and coordinate myself for the duration of that concert. And that's um, if I don't know really what I'm doing. If when I when I walk onto that concert platform and I've already got myself in a bit of a mess unknowingly i'm i've al- i'm already disadvantaged i mean it's, it's hard enough anyway um holding it together in a concert in a difficult situation between Perform- I mean, any kind of performing <laughs> performing performance situation is hard enough
0: right one but one way of thinking about th- that is that there are really two instruments at play here there's the the violin or the piano or whatever, and then there's the person playing it, who's also that's a right. kind of an instrument, mm-hmm. and the 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 musical instrument is not about to change anytime soon. No. But um, but the other instrument has all kinds of possibilities of changing, and that's the one that that uh, that we can we can exercise some uh, direction over some some control, or as Alexander teachers like to say, conscious control over. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a thought that gets lost. As you say, you know, a musician can can become technically very good, but if they themselves are misusing their bodies as they play, and quite a few musicians do from time to time... um, the, that's going to affect the quality of the music, and it's certainly going to affect their comfort level and their ability to to be a successful musician. Well, that's
1: right. Yeah, and it's a, I mean it's a tough job. I mean I have to say that the sort of level I was playing at in on the, in the London scene, it's it, I was sort of I wasn't particularly high at the totem pole, but the higher you get up that into those, you know, if you're playing with the Berlin Philharmonic or the London Symphony Orchestra. This is a huge responsibility, and you know you, you're bombarded with a lot of stimuli. You know you have the conductor, you have the recording engineers who want value for money. You've got mm-hmm. an audience, mm-hmm. you've got colleagues. That you're you're mm-hmm. almost at the point of being overwhelmed
0: mm-hmm.
1: by I, these I, various stimuli.
0: Yeah, if I could interject a personal note, I am not in any way a musician, but for reasons that are. Partly accidental, many many of my students are and when I first started teaching, right after I qu- became an Alexander teacher, I was living in in Toronto, and a lot of my students um, were were students at the university or the the uh, Royal Conservatory, which is right near where I lived and I was astonished when I uh started working with them. Uh, what kind of schedules they had? How many hours a day they were they were practicing mm-hmm. and it it really uh seemed to me that um, that they had taken up what struck me as one of the most challenging physical uh, uh, professions around i i I always used to think well athletes you know professional athletes that 's pretty pretty high level of uh, of using your your body as part of your work but i I would say that musicians it, it's at least as demanding in somewhat different ways the mm-hmm. so constant r- same motions over and over again the long ske- the dreadful schedules that professional musicians had. I remember one of my early students played in an orchestra at, for a musical in Toronto and I mean, when she she night. told me what what it, you know the matinees on the weekend, sitting in the pit for like three hours. I mean, I just found that staggering. I I uh, I never had I had no idea that musicians work that hard and put no. so many demands on themselves. So maybe yeah. that's one reason why musicians uh, do tend to gravitate towards the technique a bit more than than uh, other performers. Um, we're coming a a bit towards the end of the conversation and I wonder if there's anything that you'd like to mention that we haven't touched on
1: well I think one thing is of course then people are asking the question how can I get to the Alexander technique and and Mm -hmm. I think is I'm always surprised when I um, in Vienna I teach a group of American students who are on exchange here and every time they come to Vienna the beginning of each semester the new group comes in and I say just as a matter of interest how many of you have either heard of or had the opportunity to uh, Come in contact with the Alexander technique and I'm I'm oh, since about the well five years ago I started doing this at the beginning five years ago almost nobody had even heard of the Alexander technique and I'm very pleased to say That in certainly this last year that all out of a group of say 50 students probably 40 have at least had one uh, albeit briefing en- uh, encounter and a group workshop or something. So I think if you if you, whether you've got a problem or not, because you know you wonder you might. you can't you know we're not um, nobody's immune from the wear and tear of being a musician. If you have the opportunity to uh, take a class or better still individual lessons, then you know, get your name on the list, sign up for it, and um and just see what it's about, because I think it's sometimes, you know, when there's a class available, there's sometimes there's lots of things on offer, and you might not realize that this could be something that could really help you. and um especially if you are having difficulties, just go online, find out if there's an Alexander teacher first of all in your school or or if in your town mm-hmm. um, and and go to these various websites and and mm-hmm. see what's on offer because uh, I think you, you there's a lot to be. Gain from it, as and as you as you said, Robert. M- music making, um, orchestra playing, is a is a tough business. It's um, you need to look at you need to be fit and fit in the sense of well coordinated. Not you don't have to be physically strong, or uh, you don't have to be a marathon runner. But you need to know how to just to sit there. And churn out those notes, um, like you say, matinee, evening, touring, and all the rest of it. Right. It's, it's a tough, it's it, a tough it life. Is,
0: it is a tough life. Well, um, I and I totally agree with your, your sentiments about checking out what's available to you. What we're going to do, uh, what I'm going to do is put uh, next to the interview... A link to a website that will enable you to find a teacher anywhere in the world, and we'll also put a link to your website. So mm-hmm. anyone who happens to be in Vienna, Austria, mm-hmm. uh, they can contact you. I assume for lessons or classes.
1: They can indeed, and, and they can uh, visit the training. They can visit train your training
0: course and see how Alexander teachers are produced. It's a, a pretty intense process. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, about three years in length, pretty several hours a day for that uh, for that period, so I think this might be a good place to to bring the conversation to a close. Um, my guest today has been Michael Parkinson, who um, is a bassoonist and uh, has played for many years in at the orchestra of the English National Ballet in London. He also um, has trained as an Alexander teacher and has been a, a teacher for uh, longer than me, and I've been one for 30 years. So I'm guessing you must it must be about 35 to 40 years. Well, I finished in, in
1: 1979.
0: Okay, okay, so about 32, 33 years. Yeah, that sounds about and, right. And uh, he he lives and works primarily in. Um, in uh, Vienna, Austria. He's also, uh, he established the Alexander Technique Teacher Training Center in Vienna, and he plays at uh, festivals in Europe and other, mainly Europe, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and we'll, as I say, we'll put a link to his site and a site that will enable you to find out pretty much anything you want to know about the Alexander Technique, including... Um, how to find a teacher in your area, Michael. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you
1: too, Robert. Nice. To-